church. Let's pray and ask God to be with us as we come to his word. Lord, we thank you that we can gather together as your people. I thank you, God, that your word is sufficient to teach us, to lead us, to correct us, so that we can train to grow in our godliness. And I pray that as we come to this passage this morning, God, that we would recognize, first of all, our sin, that no one is perfect outside of you. God, that we would even look to the examples of what we're going to see in this passage and see that we live in a creation that is under the curse of sin. But God, as we hear and think about our sin, we also look to the cross. And remember, Lord, help us to remember today how Jesus has died to cover our sin, that we may have life in him. And as we live in this cursed world under the reign of sin, but as new creations in Christ, we pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done, that we would long for your return, and that we would be used for your purposes from here until then. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, you know, last week I started with a question, which was, have you ever been at the center of a really bad lie, right? People have often told lies around you. Now, I want to begin today with another question. Have you ever been in a spot where you've been abused by leadership? Have you ever been abused by those that were in authority above you? Okay. Now, there is a reality, There is bad authority and there is good authority, right? Sometimes we hear the word authority, and in our Western minds, in this American setting, we want to, uh, we initially cringe, but we want to uphold what we value, right? At at the heart of the Declaration of Independence is the pursuit of what? Life, liberty, and happiness, right? So we want to see people flourish in a setting where they can be free and have freedom. But one of the things we've learned in our time through Ecclesiastes is, is that this sense of freedom that is uh, no bars, no boundaries, isn't actually freedom. When we live in a way where we have no rules, no structure, uh, we don't have any cares, it often doesn't light up in a way where we see that freedom. In fact, we are often seeing the opposite of freedom in those things. We often see that when we're left to ourselves, we see sin pervase, destruction come about, and it gives us this sense in which we go, what is happening in the world, and what are we supposed to do? In the last few years, especially if we think of our immediate context, we can think of some really poor examples of leadership. (laughs) Maybe right now, if you were to pull up Real Clear Politics and look at the presidential approval rating, It doesn't look so hot for our president in this moment. It doesn't look like things are going so well, at least with the American people and their opinions of how things are going. But the previous president before that, Donald Trump, also did not have wonderful approval ratings at the end of his tenure. And this points us to a very big political reality for us in this moment, right? Often when we hear about churches and politics, we want to stay away from these topics. But it points us to a reality. The reality is this, that we're longing for good leadership and we are lacking good leaders, right? We're longing for good leadership, and we are lacking leaders. And the fair question of our day is, can it get any worse? And, you know, if politically thinking, in the last 10 to 12 years, we have seen multiple impeachment trials. 
multiple impeachment movements. We've seen insecurities arise. We have seen people justify immorality in a sense that 10, 20, 30 years ago, we would have looked at this and said, how could anybody with these kind of marks and streaks on their reputation be considered for an office like the Oval Office? Now, we can try to idealize the sense of what we would see in politics, but the reality is that this problem isn't just in politics, right? It's also in the spheres of our work. And now, you may have been in situations where, especially in the last few years in light of COVID, remember March 2020, guys? You remember that? That, that was fun, huh? When it, the whole world shut down, and all of a sudden, people who had jobs were relieved of their jobs. Anybody live through that? Right? That was a difficult moment and time. And in light of that now, we are also seeing like there has been continued story and headline after headline where businesses have gone under, where maybe five years ago they looked like they were prospering and things were looking really bright and beautiful and it was a great time to be a worker. Right? I mean, I can think even just a few years ago when we bought our house in Lebanon, right? Mortgage rates were awesome, Right? It was 2.99% at one point, all of you that locked in at that. Praise the Lord, right? Because you try to go and find a house right now, those of you that have been searching for homes, it is expensive. What's the, the, the uh, mortgage rate right now? It's like something like 7%, isn't it? 8? 8%. Oh my goodness, right? I mean, that's literally double the, the interest rates of what we were paying just two or three years ago when everything looked really well economically, right? Now, These are harsh realities, and oftentimes we look at the things that are going on in our lives, whether it's in politics, whether it's in our workplace, and we we can see the injustice that is just reaping in the day, right? We live in a world where it seems like the good guy often can't make a good way or a good living, and it often seems like those that are abusing what should be made for good are often prospering. How do we handle this? What do we do when we look at the authority of the world and look at the places and contexts that we are in and say, how can we live in the middle of all of this brokenness? Well, guys, I want to give you this main principle from Ecclesiastes 8 this morning. It's this. It's that while it looks like the prosperity is for the wicked, it will be temporary. The prosperity of the wicked is temporary, but God will have eternal justice, peace, and joy. God will have and bring eternal justice, peace, and joy. So if you're thinking of the big idea for this morning's sermon, it's this, it's that the prosperity of the wicked will be temporary, but God will eternally bring justice, peace, and joy. As we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we're going to see basically three different sections that I want us to to pull onto today. The first is in verses 1 through 9, and this is a picture of what it looks like to live in broken authority. What does it look like to live in broken authority, verses 1 through 9? In verses 10 through 14, we can see the picture of what it means to long for justice, what it means to long for justice. And then in verse 15, we're going to land the plane on how God brings justice, peace, and joy. So let's look at our first section uh, for this morning. How can we live under broken authority? Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 1 is actually a transitional point 
in which the preacher has been laying out for us all of these realities of his observations, and now he's going to start bringing in some practicalities to how we can live in light of what he has observed. So in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Who is like the wise person, and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A person's wisdom brightens his face, and the sternness of his face is changed. Okay, so the question he poses right off the gate for us is this. Who is the wise person? Right? Now, this is a reality, right? There are not many people we could say today that live with wisdom, right? We pursue wisdom, but we wouldn't necessarily say that we always have a, a person that comes to our mind when we say, this guy is living out wisdom perfectly, okay? Wisdom is not just the knowledge of what is right. It is the application of what is right in your living. Now, what the, the passage is telling us here, too, is that those who live in wisdom are truly transformed. That's why there's this picture where it says, a person's wisdom brightens his face and the sternness of his face is changed. Those who live in pursuit of wisdom are indeed changed. And so I want to give you two Bible ideas to think about, particularly when it comes to how wisdom transforms us. One's from the Old Testament and one's from the New Testament. We see uh, in Numbers chapter 6, what's called the Aaronic Blessing, right? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you, and may he give you peace. Those who are living with the Lord in a right relationship, a covenantal relationship with God, in Numbers chapter 6, are, are, are blessed in such a way where it says, the Lord's face shine upon you. That is, it, it reveals to you what is good, what is right, what is complete. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. There's a, a transformation that comes here from the Lord's presence and his covenantal promises according to Numbers chapter 6. But maybe a, a better illustration that comes to our mind when we think of the Bible actually comes from the person of Jesus in his transfiguration and what we see in the Gospels. Like in Luke's Gospel, where it tells us that as Jesus was going up to the mountain, he was going to be with, with Moses and Elijah, it says that his face was transformed. He revealed the glory of God. People who pursue wisdom are changed by the wisdom of the Lord and changed in such a way that they're shining the light of God's truth in the darkness. Okay? This is a rare commodity. This is not a, a, uh, a very present thing in every circumstance. This is rare. That's what the preacher is pointing us to. But he's highlighting for us that living for wisdom, while it's rare, is worth it because it brings about real change. Okay, so we start with that in verse 1. But then in verse 2, the preacher s- starts to change and give us an illustration uh, of where we see brokenness and authority. So look at verse 2. It says, Keep the king's commands because of your oath made before God. Do not be in a hurry. Leave, uh, leave his presence. And don't persist in a bad cause, since he will do whatever he wants. For the king's word is authoritative, and who can say to him, What are you doing? The one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful, and a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. For every activity, there is a right time and procedure, even though a person's troubles are heavy on him. Yet no one knows what will happen, because who can tell him what will happen? No one has authority over the wind to restrain it, and there is no authority over the day of death. No one is discharged during battle, and wickedness will, allow, will not allow those who practice it to escape. 
All this I have seen applying my mind to the work that is done under the sun at a time when one person has authority over another to his harm. So we're given this picture of someone who is relating to a king. Now, this is not the first time that the Bible uses this kind of picture or illustration for us. Can anybody think off the top of their mind in the Old Testament where we see people relating to kings? Any, Any pictures come to your mind? Any stories? Any characters? People relating to kings. I'll give you some books of the Bible. Okay, so you said Joseph. Okay, great. Genesis, right? So the, the story of Joseph, he's, he's uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. He rises to power under Pharaoh, and he becomes the second in command. Now, he, he goes through a lot of stuff in that, that point, but he ends up serving as an advisor to the king. Uh, who else comes to mind? Jacob? David, okay, David, so David is the, is the king, yeah, he comes and he, he rules in, in a great way, right, right, yeah, good, relating to Saul, so Saul's a wicked king who is bent against the Lord, the people have chosen him, but David is going to be the chosen one by God who rules with peace and prosperity and justice, now his life was not perfect by any means, right, he definitely fell into sin and he repented of his sin and the Lord uh, worked through forgiveness in his life for for the good of, of the nation and for his good. Uh, maybe one more example. Daniel, right, yeah. So Daniel may be an example that relates especially to us in this season, right? Daniel uh, represented the believers of God who were taken into captivity by Babylon. And he lived under multiple kings who were set against God's people. And he was in this role and capacity of being an advisor to Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. And as he was the, the advisor, he would give advice on what to do in situations. Daniel especially gives us this picture to how we can live and serve under wicked rulers and live for God in chaotic times. See, we're not all politicians, we're not all advisors to leaders, but we are all serving and working in broken times. We're serving and working in broken situations where people are, are ruling and trying to exercise their authority in a way that may not be to the benefit of others. Now, this passage in Ecclesiastes gives us at least two pictures of the abuse of authority. The first is the situation of verse 3. All right, so the preacher tells, tells him, do not run away from the king. Right? The king, keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. He says, don't be in a hurry. Don't leave his presence. Don't persist in a bad cause since he will do whatever he wants. This is a king who is set on doing evil. A king who may take advice from someone like a believer, someone who proclaims to be in a relationship with God, yet may fall in a way where he is bent toward doing what is evil. So we can find ourselves in these kind of situations. The second kind of situation is what we see in verse 9. The preacher says, All this time while I have seen and applied my mind to the work that is done under the sun, that a person has authority over another to his harm. So this isn't just people who are bent on evil policies or evil procedures. This is a people or a king who is bent on harming those that are underneath him. Now, what does this harm look like? Often, it comes in the form of doing what is actually best for the king at the expense of the people. 
So we'll give you some biblical pictures, right? Think of uh, the, the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 1. The people of God, as Pharaoh sees that they're multiplying in number, Pharaoh then makes a decree that all of the firstborn children should be killed, or the firstborn sons of this nation should be killed, right? So he gives a, a mass sentencing to say, hey, take out all of these firstborn uh, Israelite men because this will stop their population growth. But at the same time, he also sends them to do work with more force, with more responsibility, with less resources. Okay? So the king's saying, do this work so that I can benefit at your expense. Right? Now, we may see this in our modern context as well. Right? Now, we live in a day where the, the politics of the day are not always bent on serving the people but serving particular ideologies that benefit those that are in power, right? Uh, now, here's the reality, right? Our political system is broken, okay? There, there's no good political system that I see right now in the United States. You know, it, there used to be a day where we could highlight good qualities about each, each party or each representation. Uh, that's becoming increasingly harder and harder, isn't it? Where it's like, man, I, I don't know if in good conscience I can stand here or stand there. And then even anywhere in between. <laughs> it's a struggle in our day to see how things can be used for good. So what are we to do? What do we do in light of this? Well, within these few verses, the preacher actually gives a couple of principles that are really helpful for us as we consider serving and living in broken times. The first is this. We find it in verse 2. Keep your word. As we live in broken times, there's a matter of integrity for God's people. If we keep our word and we live up to our word, if we let our yes be yes and our no be no, we will set an example to those that we serve and those that are around us. So brothers and sisters, my first principle for you as we live in chaotic times is keep your word. Be faithful to what you have vowed. That's why he says here, this, this is an interesting interpretation. Josh was reading from the ESV right? Yeah, okay. Uh, I read that this week. The NASB, there's different ways that this is translated. I like the CSB's version of this because it says, keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. Now, what the author is trying to communicate to us is that when we align ourselves with particular people, and when we say we're going to promise to serve this people, that when we, we make promises, we don't just make them for the situations and the circumstances, we make them before God. So when I promise to do something, right, even if I'm promising to do it in a context where there are unbelievers, I need to be faithful to what I have said, because if I'm not faithful to what I have said, I am not just representing my actions, but I'm, a- I'm representing the actions of the one in whom I believe, right? So, you know, I was thinking of this, there, there's been situations where people, like many of you in our church may work in secular settings, Right? Now, one of the things that I really admire about all of you is that you get to spend time with people who may not be Christians, okay? So as you spend time with people who are not Christians, here's the thing that comes to my mind. It's going to be hard for you, but you may be the only person that they interact with that knows Jesus. So there's great responsibility and great weight to that, but also great joy. Your yes and your consistency and your no and where you stand on your no, 
As you walk, you get to represent Jesus to people who don't know him. That's a beautiful thing. So there may be times where you may be saying, I'm not a missionary, I'm not a preacher, I'm not telling people about God's word all the time, but your living testimony in front of others may be communicating a truth about God, and if you can give glory to God and proclaim with your mouth why you do what you do and who you believe in, that may share a story to other people who need to know about him. So, hey, here's my call for you. Keep working and keep your yes to your yes and your no to a no. Keep your word. Second principle, when the going gets tough, that doesn't mean that you should run. So when things are hard, it doesn't mean that you should run away. So he says here there's a right procedure and a right process for various things. And every activity, there's a right time and right procedure, even though a person's troubles are heavy on him. That's verse 6. As you're working in a world that's bent against Jesus, there are going to be times where the pressure is heavy. <laughs> and when the pressure gets hard, we are tempted to immediately respond with running away, right? We're escaping. We're running. We're saying, hey, we're just going to go ahead and do this and run in our place to where it might be easy from, for us. Now, that's not always the best answer. Now, I'm not saying that you should stay in situations where it is very clearly against you and against your principles and against your convictions. Those are good reasons to leave places of employment or places where you are called to action. But just because something's hard doesn't mean that we should run from it. Now, I think all of us would say that there is a true reality that when we go through hard things, God often teaches us a lot more about ourselves and a lot more about what it means to follow him in those things. So friend, when the going gets hard, don't just run away. And the third principle we see in verses 1 through 9 is that as we're to keep our words, as we're to stay even when it's difficult, we also need to make sure that we stand against what is evil. Stand against what is evil. When something is clearly wrong, we should say something. Right? Now, how many of you have been tempted in situations where you see some wrongdoing happening and going, I'm not in charge, who am I to say anything? A- anybody been there? Okay, Friend, I understand the temptation. There are times where I'm like, man, whoo, what am I supposed to do right here? Right, And there are moments where we can speak. Now, here's some, some words of wisdom as you pursue this. When you speak, speak with clarity, speak with grace, and speak with gentleness. Speak with clarity, speak with grace, and speak with gentleness. Right? When we have been personally wronged, our first inclination is to self-defense. Right? Where we go, this is all the ways that you're actually wrong and I'm right in this, Right? <laughs> You guys have been here, right? These are normal conflicts, right? We go, okay, somebody's telling me I've done something wrong here. The first thing I want to do is defend my honor, right? That's not always the best response. Here's what I've come to learn in conflict. Oftentimes, when people share things that you may have done to wrong them, there might actually be an ounce of truth in most of them. So what you need to do is actually listen. And it may be a perception issue, 
and it may actually be that there was a miscommunication or a misunderstanding entirely, but you should listen and you should process that and you should be humble enough to say, you know what, I am capable of wrongdoing, maybe I ought to consider this. So that doesn't mean that you're always in the wrong, right? We do not, uh, I wish that our society would actually live by the standard that we say legally, where when, you know, people are, are charged with something, they're innocent until they're proven guilty. I think we actually live in a society that, that is the opposite of that, that we're guilty until we're proven innocent, and then even when we're proven innocent, we're still guilty. It feels like that's the way the world is going right now. What we need to do is be able to listen well and respond with clarity with grace, with gentleness. Understanding how to respond and say things like, I understand, I'm hearing you say this, that I've done this against you. That was not at all my intention. Here was really what I was trying to do in that moment. Trying to say in that moment. What I was really feeling in that moment. Or when there's just clear wrong, and you can go, hey, I I see that you are seeing things this way, this is really what I believe has happened. This is really what was going on. So we can live under broken authority. We have to live under broken authority. How do we do it? We do it by keeping our word, not running when it gets hard and standing against evil. Now here's the reality. The results of this come to light in verse 10. The preacher says, In such circumstances... I saw the wicked buried. They came and went from the holy place and they were praised in the city where they did those things. This too is futile. (laughs) So we hear of these situations where people are doing wicked things and they're harming others. And what happens? Our longing is for justice. We want to say, hey, let the bad man feel the weight of his actions. Let him take responsibility for what has happened. Let it come to him, right? We wish that their actions would then result in a way where there's a reaction that is just as equal in its justice as it is their injustice. But what we find is that people who are bent on wickedness often end up in a way where they're, they're buried in peace and celebrated with honor. It says they, 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 went, they were praised in the city where they did these things. This too is futile. And then notice the, the results of this in verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil act is not carried out, the heart of the people is filled with desire to commit evil. So we see brokenness around us, and how do we respond? We go, well, we become hardened to it first. People sometimes even celebrate the people who have done wicked things. And then our hearts are inclined to what Ecclesiastes has defined as escapism, where we just go, the world's so bent on evil, we're just going to keep on doing evil. Why should we do anything if it's not going to change anyway? Verse 12, although a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, seems like everything's going well right there, right? Their life is long. They've been buried with honor. People have essentially ignored what they've done. Friends, I want you to hear the rest of what the preacher says in this verse. Verse 12, I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people. 
for they are reverent before him. However, it will not go well with the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God. In a world where it's bent on chaos, we think everybody's prolonging their life and they're getting away with what they're getting away with. Here's the reality. Everybody dies, right? Ten out of ten people die. We've shared this statistic a few times now through Ecclesiastes. When we die, we face the judge of the living and the dead. We face the Lord God Almighty. Those who were bent toward wickedness will receive a just sentence. Jesus uses this picture in the New Testament of the sheep and the goats. Those that belong with him stay with him, and those that are not with him are cast away from his presence. There are the wicked and the righteous. God will indeed bring justice. We're going to see this carried out, and I'll land on that in verse 15, but I really just want to highlight again that it is normal for us in this setting to long for justice. That is, in fact, a good desire for us to want to see justice carried out in our world. Now, as we think of that, let me give you this main principle to deal with injustice in the world. As we long for justice, we must remember who actually brings justice. The Lord God brings justice. And while we can stand, while we can speak, while we can say no to things that are wrong, while we can proclaim, ultimately, the authority lies with the Lord to establish justice. And we can hear this promise that the God-fearing will do well in their time. I think often of people who have been involved in acts that counter injustice in the world. Uh, Josh and I saw the movie um, The Sound of Freedom. Anybody heard about this? It's about child trafficking, right? Uh, Man, we were wrecked as we watched that. It was messed up to see everything that happened there. And I'm like shocked that there are people in the world that don't want people to see this movie. Because I'm just thinking this is exposing an evil of the day. An evil that we need to tackle and address head-on and say we need to fight against this. Now, the guys that are behind that movie, the guys that are fighting for the freedom of children who have been enslaved into the trafficking business, they're doing good work. And right now, it may seem like the need is super big and the fruit of their efforts is super small. But I know this, that at the end of the day, the work that they've done we'll see its justice carried through in the Lord. The Lord will honor people who do what is right. We may not see the immediate effects of that right in and around us. It may be not even in our lifetime, but we will be able to see complete justice brought in Jesus. So guys, there might be moments where you're standing in what is becoming an increasingly politicized culture where red states are really red and blue states are really blue, right? This is not blending to a 50-50 equality. It's getting deeper and deeper. Now, here's the thing. Connecticut needs Christians that are going to stand upon conservative biblical values. It is good for us to stand in these places. It's going to be hard to stand in these places, and it's going to feel like we're often standing 
against a, a, in a losing battle where it feels like we're just getting attack after attack and we're constantly on the defense. That doesn't mean that we should go. Now, there might be situations where you could go and that, that may be to your benefit. But I think we need to stand in this moment. I think we need to say, we're going to stand here for what is right, what is true, what God has done, and we're not going to be thwarted because everybody is against us. We may not see the fruit in the here and now. You may not even see it in your lifetime. But the Lord brings justice, and he uses our faithfulness even when we feel like we're just scratching the surface and the efforts that need to take place. Stand, brothers and sisters. Stand with faithfulness, knowing that in time, it will go well for you. And that going well for you is fulfilled in Jesus, and it may actually look like your death and dying well, but not total social transformation. And then finally, I just want to land right here on verse 15. In light of all of this, there's a broken world with broken leaders. We're longing for justice. What can we take away from this? Verse 15 feels so out of place when you just read through this passage, but it is really where the preacher's trying to land for us. So in light of all of this, in light of injustice, in light of brokenness, he says, I commended enjoyment because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself, for this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. In light of injustice, what can we do? How can we find meaning? We take joy. We take joy. How can we have joy when the world's broken? Not joy in the world, it's joy in the Lord. Instead of being consumed by the injustices of the world, we can remember these following truths. God sees all evil. God sees all evil. And while it may look like people are turning the other way to avoid what is actually being plainly seen, Nothing passes the sight of the Lord. God sees all evil. Take comfort, take joy in that reality, brothers and sisters. In light of that too, I want you to know that God sees your suffering. God sees your suffering. Very plainly in Scripture, we see that there are multiple instances where as people are facing hardships, they do things like cry out to God. Have you ever been tempted to think like you're going through a hard time and it's like, I, I can't talk to God about this because who am I? Have you ever felt that way? I mean, I love the way the Psalms express, especially how David cried to God. David said things like, God, where are you? What are you doing? Will you let these enemies of yours defame your name? Will you let your believers be crushed by the the wicked? David spoke with plain language like that. Guys, the Lord sees your evil. When you're hurting, it's not too much for the Lord to hear your hurt. When you are suffering, it's not inappropriate for you to say, God, I just really need to know what you're doing right now. Now, here's the thing. He might not always answer us. He might not give us the answer we even want to hear, but he sees us. 
Hebrews 4 tells us that we have a sympathetic high priest who knows every single one of our weaknesses. That by the blood of Jesus, we draw near to the throne with confidence, with boldness. Now, some of us need to change our prayer lives to actually reflect confidence and boldness before the throne of God. We don't just go, before the throne of God above. It's a declaration. We get to stand before God in our prayer and say, God, before your throne, I'm coming and I'm hurting. I see injustice and I want to know when justice is going to reign, Lord. I'm feeling hurt and not seen, not cared for. Where are you, God? We need to come with boldness to the Lord in our prayer. That's what our salvation has brought to us. Through the Lord Jesus, we have a way to come before the Almighty, the Holy One, the only Holy God, and say, there's no one like you. These circumstances are horrible. I feel like I need to see you where I am right now. And to be received with what? With, with love and care and empathy. So, guys, God sees your suffering. It's not too much for you to bring it to him. Hey, get over your New Englander self, okay? Like, I'm preaching this to you and I'm preaching it to me. I need to get over feeling weird about sitting in my office on a Monday morning and saying, God, I am so tired. <laughs> How do I keep doing this? Where are you? Are you? Am I making a difference? I need to get over that and just say, Lord, we're getting back to it. This is hard, but you're here. Guys, I also want you to know this truth, that God will judge all evil and that he will bring victory for himself, for his glory, and for you. Those that are wicked will not last forever. And when they go and meet their day, though it may look like all things ended up the way that you could have dreamt for them without any responsibility without any action against them, know this, it doesn't escape God and his judgment. God will judge evil, and he has victory over evil, and thereby, through his judgment over evil, we have victory too. But our victory is in Christ. So all of us, our sin is going to be judged by God. For those who believe in Jesus, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus right now, I just want you to hear this, that when you believe in Jesus, when you trust in him by faith, we now have standing in him that covers us from our sin. Guys, that's what we're going to celebrate in the table today. As we take the Lord's Supper, for Christians, we get to remind ourselves that by Jesus' death on the cross, in our place, through his spilt blood, We have covering. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Christ covers those who believe in him. And it's not just like a, hey, you're taken care of and this is set away. You're given new righteousness, new standing, a sanctification that you are growing in. And the wicked... They're not covered by the blood of Jesus.
They're not covered. So what are we to do in light of all of this injustice? We're to take joy, to know, know that peace will come through God's justice. And I think a great place for us to end today is with James 1-2, where it says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face various trials. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't want to presume to know exactly everything that you're going through. But if you're going through a hard time, I want you to know that God sees you. That God sees the evil of the world. And I don't know if maybe some of these applications have been to your heart. Maybe you need to chew some more on the idea of praying with boldness and confidence, telling God exactly what you're feeling and what you're going through. I can tell you this, he's going to listen. He will hear you. Don't stop there, friend. Go to his word and let his word comfort you. Read those Psalms. Read Psalm 51. As David cried out in his sin, he said, Create in me a, a, a clean heart, O God. We want you to read 1 John 1, where it tells us that when we cast our sin out on the Lord, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not be overcome by it. I want you to take heart in that passage. I want you to read Hebrews chapter 4, especially verses 14 through 16, where we, we see that Jesus is the high priest who intercedes for us and brings us empathy. I want you to maybe reflect on Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord sees you in your suffering. He sees you in this moment of injustice, and you can run to him and find care. And it's ultimately when we live underneath his authority that we see authority used for good and used in good for our good and his glory. As we long for the day that Jesus will return, let's pray together now and ask God to come to rescue us from the injustice of the world. Lord, we thank you for your word. We know that there's good authority and bad authority. Some of us have lived underneath this. Some of us are facing injustice right now. And for those that are in that situation, I pray that they actually go home today and they pray with open hearts, unhinged before you, with boldness and confidence asking you to show up, to work. And I pray, God, that you would help us to meditate on Scripture, like Matthew 11 and Hebrews 4 and 1 John 1 and Psalm 51, to meditate on those passages, to know that you're there, that you hear, that you see, and that you're working in and through our lives. And may we hold on to the promise of Romans 8, that you will work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. God, in a world that's confusing and chaotic, our only hope is in the gospel. And so to Today, as we gather as a church to look to the supper, I pray that you would help us to see again what it is that Jesus has done 
as he's died in our place, as he spilt his blood. May we remind ourselves that our hope is, is there with you. It's not in us. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name.